Hey everybody, welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall. Today we got Doug Burrier again from Sustainable Discipleship, and I'm really excited about asking this question. What do dead pandas have to do with discipleship? <laughs> In this episode, Doug talks to us about how to learn how to help disciples find the great truths by answering the riddles in the Bible. Doug is a decision scientist and he shares a simple method that always results in disciples consuming God's word on their own. And it's really incredible to watch the Holy Spirit do all the changing in somebody's life once we open people up to the word of God. By the end of the episode, Doug does answer that question about dead pandas. So make sure to stay around to the end of that. All right, y'all enjoy the episode. Let's dive in and hear from Doug. Here we go. By the way, if you're new to this breakout, uh, we do our breakouts backwards. All we ask is that you not grind axes, like just be part of the conversation that's going on. Don't, you know, feel like if you need to do a breakout, I can come to my church. I will invite you. You can do a breakout. But if you get to stay in that lane. But the thing that we do is we always entertain questions at first and along the way. So if you got a question, good. Our topic is, you know, what's black and white and red all over. And some of you are like dead pandas and you're making a connection. But I bet you don't totally get it. But we're going to have fun. Okay. But before we get started, does anybody else have any questions? Yeah, man. What is the definitive uh, guide on decision science? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, that's a good one. So if I was going to first try to discover uh, like where it began and how cool it is, I actually have a book on my bookshelf, and I can't remember the name, but the original paper that was published. So um, I'm going to have to look up the link for that. I keep it. Will you connect with me? It's really cool. Their original paper that came out is crazy. It's 14 heuristics or shortcuts of decision making. It'll change the way you buy cars, everything. Like these guys are geniuses. Yes. There, when I, there was only one, two schools when I was a, training decision sciences that did it. They're still very limited. They've changed it to behavioral science. But yet, they, yeah, whatever. How do I get paid? So. The real life secret, I have a very rich wife. No, um, my wife is, actually teaches advanced target kids. Um, and so they're at the end of the year and she can't be here. So she and I, God has, uh, blesses us through her income. I teach at Three Taverns Church in Atlanta, Georgia. So one of the leaders there, this is the, this is the guinea pig beta testing group for all this. It's where it started. And so I, I kind of lead there. So that all of this is funded bootstrapped, whatever, somebody does a workshop, if they can kick some money in, they do. If you buy a book here, if you buy it on Amazon, basically we pay Amazon, that's a racket. If they, so they, there's just donations, stuff like that, but none of us take a salary for this. This is just, we all have day jobs and God just told us, like, we didn't want to do this. Does that, no offense, but we didn't want to do this. Like, cause we have lives and we're busy and it's just very hard and I don't really like being away from home and, and everything else, but God just was like, it's like, if you, if, you, if you had the cure for cancer, would you just not share it because it's inconvenient? So, like, literally, all the Waldos paid their own way here. They're paying their own hotels, like, just to, you know. And then we're committed to give everything away for free, and so far we haven't run out of money. Our phrase is, we, if you don't have the money, man, have a workshop on us. If you it, have a book on us, and we're just going to do that till we can't. So we, we haven't hit the can't. I doubt that we will, right? Oh my God. So, any other questions? 
but you can pay me if you want. I don't know what. I'll mow your grass. I like mow your grass. You don't have to pay me for this, but feel free. I'll, I'll mow your grass. Anybody else got any other questions at all? Not, it's so funny. Every conference is different. Sometimes we just chew through questions at the beginning. Nothing. You don't want to know how tall I am? My favorite Italian food is gnocchi and anchovies. I grew up in an Italian family, and every New Year's we would have anchovies, fresh anchovies and gnocchi. Yeah. What was that? Oh, so in, in, in millennial vernacular, it's a tag. A tag, like just like in social media. All I'm doing is putting a tag in your brain. Music is one of the most powerful memories you'll have other than smell. It is. So, you know, anything you can do, I can do better. And you're immediately going to think, do I actually believe I can do this? And Jesus said, what? These things and greater you do, which means you look at us and you go, oh, they're making disciples. And I'm telling you, you can do way better than us. There's people who are beating the average percentages. They're incredible. Anything else? There you go. <laughs> but, but the way we want to sing it is right. Anything I can do, you can do better. Because that's the way you want to train a disciple. You want them to outclass you, and they will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I was going to visit you at your church, but not now. Um, let's see. If I was sitting out there, what would I, I would ask? I would ask this. What's your favorite thing about disciple making? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> My favorite thing about disciple making is this. A, I, I hate running, I hate going to discipleship groups. So like, it, I, I'm, I'm tired, I'm busy, I've been writing or doing whatever I'm doing. And, and then Amber, my wonderful wife, is like, go, because you're going to be better when you come back. So when I go to, as tired as I am, when I go to a discipleship group, I watch every time a miracle unfold. Because I watched God do for them what I wanted him to do for me, that he showed us how to do for them. And so what happens is, and I'm telling you, it's all about these methods. Like, these aren't small groups, and it's not because they're like, oh, it's the confess because I slept with a boy last night, and you know, that. I watch people have these miracle moments where they realize something about the character of God. Or he, the Holy Spirit, takes something very specific and tells you that. And we all get it, but then he tells somebody else something different. And I watch this life change. I watch at week six or seven, somebody who never thought they could read the Bible. And they're like, dude, I can do this. They're having their donkey moment, as it were, right? Like, I can do this. In Discipleship 3, I watched people all of a sudden begin to see how God has designed them and built them to connect all that they've learned into this big, greater picture. And all of a sudden, they don't need me anymore. And to me, but you know, our definition of success, right? How many disciples you make who do the right thing for the right reason, navigate the unknowns, right? Long after you're gone. Just so you know, internally, and when we coach people, we tell them not to even start measuring success until you've released them. Because there's, there is no success until they can live on their own. Does that make sense? So when I sit in those discipleship groups and I watch this, I'm just like, dude, somebody else is getting it. Like, this is so cool. And like in the potential. So this year's potential, just from the last couple of workshops we did and people are interested, could be 14,000 new people 
who, who start their journey to be a well-made disciple. How is that not just like on fire? Incredible. Like everybody keeps saying, we want a movement. And I'm like, let's do it. It's like, if you guys will all buy in that it, we're doing just make six, I think is at 1230. No, 3:30. the last breakout. We can show you how to like, just do this very easily and simply. If all of you guys would just go out and make three or six in the next three years, dude, we'll change the world wherever you're at. That's our goal. Like, this isn't about like, oh, read our book. I still, will you sign this book? And I just say everything within me. So I just sign it because I've been told, just stop. They don't need a lecture. Just sign the freaking book. So I sign the book. But inside, I'm like, this is all God. We didn't do anything. We just discovered it. This did, like, looked at science. I mean, no offense, but Christians, we all go like, oh, Let's go to seminary. And then nobody teaches us how to teach, and then they unleash us to teach. So, yeah. Cool. Anything else? Yes. Oh, dear God, no. No, that's like, that's like, that's the, that's the way I dated Amber. <laughs> yeah, so we're like dating. We're like dating. So Amber, Amber, and when we got married, we were older. And so Amber, she was like, I don't know, 30s. Super independent woman, lived her own life. As her dad put it, we knew you must be special because she didn't need anybody. I, I think that's a compliment. So, so, so when I was asking for her hand, right? You know, so, so, so she would come home and she would just like get in her recliner and sleep or whatever, right? And so I'm on the, I'm like, we're supposed to talk. We're supposed to talk. Dude, I almost lost her. I almost lost her. Got it? So you just can't do that. We just go, we, we didn't go, so you, don't ever call it a program because it's not. These are methods. We just go, hey, we, we, I'm going to read the Bible this year. D group, transformation group. We, we have, if you come to that last session, we tell you all the pitches. Like there's just different ways to pitch us, whether you're launching it or personal or whatever. So if you're really laid back, like you can't go and like, will you marry me? No, you can't do that. You have to like, can we go get coffee? So that's just where you start. And we don't even tell them. Like, I love it. And people are like, it's a grueling process. That's, that's a wonderful process. Like, they're, they're going to end up with a life that is so different. So we, we just do that. Do you want a, a year? And I promise you, at the end of the year, thousands of people have been here before you. You're going to be like, wow. And, and guess what? We have standing room only. So we have people in line that, because we don't have the capacity to disciple. Not just us, by the way, but churches who are doing the method. Me making disciples or this part of disciple making? Uh, tears me up when they take breaks. On the way to 95% success, there's probably, I'm guessing, a 20% slacker that goes in there and they go away for a while and it kills me. Um, there is a point, and I don't think it's right now. I'm sorry. I get excited, I start answering questions. I can't remember all the breakouts of it. We're going to talk today about this. There's three, there's three places where you lose. If you're going to lose people in discipleship, there are three distinct places. And every time I hit those, it kills me. And I know they're, they're coming back because the data, you just have to trust God and trust the data. I know they're coming back. I'm going to lose five out of 100, but I know the rest are coming back. But there's some people, they walk away, like, oh, I just need a break. I got a job. And, and I'm like, so what? You're not, you have a job, so you're not going to follow God. You know, I'm, I'm like, but it kills me because I don't want people to, I, it, I took a lot of breaks along the way. Anybody else? 
I took a lot of breaks along the way. And I regret them. Yes? No, actually, um, supply and demand is a beautiful thing. So decision science or science using science in this, you have to look at all the data, right? Okay, so science is the observation of what God's created and done. It's also the observation of what happened with the fall. So the law of scarcity is not a biblical concept because God provides abundantly, but we sinned and we got booted out of the garden. And now in our fallen nature, right? Now you're all saved. I know our nature is now saved. We still have some dregs in our flesh, right? Longs to be part of what I can't be a part of. Longs to have what I can't have. So actually, we only start groups once a year. And when you come in during the year, we go, hey, we can put you on a waiting list. It's one of the, the, it's one of the most popular. You're all suckers to it. It's how they sell everything on the internet. It's how they sell stuff in the stores, everything. In our last talk, the evergreen principle, we're going to teach you that evergreen sales principle, show you how to use it biblically. So the idea is, so we have things, we have funnels we put them in. We have a, we have a journal funnel. If you've seen it, it's, it's a date. They get emailed scriptures every week and, and interact. And so it's based on all the same principles. So we give them feeders to get them ready and keep, we're not going to not put them in small groups. We, we do all kinds of things, but we start once a year and it does scale we are just currently like currently because the greatest obstacle in this whole project is pastors and churches they just won't start making disciples so we have people in colombia philippines all over the u.s who no one will disciple them so we're taking them on so just in our world we have a capacity problem so if you want to make disciples please please we would love even if you can't do it in your church, we will bring you on. We'll give you a title, Chief Disciple Maker, and you can come on. <laughs> There's a group of people in our church reading through the Bible in the year this year, and having not done that with a group before, uh, I'm a little uh, taken aback by, like, it's a lot of content every week. It's like a fire hose of, and, and so many, you know, read Judges in a week, and you're going to have a million questions, right? So, like, how do you, that seems like a fast pace. Yeah, so we're going to hit that in this. Before we leave, we're going to tell you exactly how we do this, and it works. Yes? What time of year do you found is the best time to launch this? The same time that you should break up with every girl you're dating. Valentine's Day. No. <laughs> yeah. Never break. You always break up before Valentine's Day, right? So, um, no. So you want, if you're married, that doesn't apply to you. Okay. No. <laughs> I keep reading this mic is on. I wonder if they ever actually publish all that I say. I wouldn't. Um, so, hello. Okay, so, so it's just a dead-end recording. Yeah, so um, if you remind me, I'm supposed to repeat your questions. What was the question? Oh, February, the best time to launch a group. So the, 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 I mean, to understand, we're at this point now where we're measuring things in one and two and three percents of improvement, not tens. So um, if you launch between mid-January and mid-February, you're going to have, that's our most successful. Um, behind that is anything probably up till mid-March, early April, you can stretch it. If you see me looking at the back, Tim's our data guy, so it, unless the new data is correcting me. And then fall works, except fall usually conflicts with the launch of small groups, and you don't ever want to do that because people will confuse this for a life group, and then you'll have a huge dropout because they're signing up for something they don't understand. 
actual answer. That was an answer. Isn't that fun? I, I love it. Like, I hate going to things like, yeah. Uh, no, or do you find in person is better? It, it, it works over Zoom. But let me tell you this. If you want to, don't, don't do what we did. No hybrid groups. Either all virtual or no virtual. Somebody gets lost. Just that, and yes, it can work. We're making this. That's how we're doing global discipleship right now. Like uh, Keith back there, he's probably at a breakout. They go other breakouts because they're learning stuff. Keith is doing um, Philippines, I think, right now. Is he Philippines or is he Colombia? Philippines. Philippines. I don't even know how they're doing with the language thing, but they're, he's rocking it all Zoom. Yes. Uh, if we came out of this and said, oh, I, I want to try this, we need to go this route or whatever. Would you actually say from now, would you say start from January, because that's the best time, or would you say strike while this iron's hot to do this now, or in June, or Tim, can you plug your ears real quick? Um, so what I'm going to say is go for it, baby. But if you're a larger, if you're just doing this individually, if you're a larger church, so I'm going to say anything thousand and up, I would take a big breath because summer's a hard time to start. And I would like get with one of our coaches, like, and we, like I said, do everything for free or whatever, but just get with us. We, we have a lot of implementation models. Um, and, and there's a lot of people we've worked with and their implementation ideas. Derek is one of them. Wave Derek, huge church. Um, and then we, we just take all that as other people come up with great things. We pile it together, talk to us because there actually is, if you're going to do this church wide, a kind of really smart, it's very, you want to be very intelligent on how to ramp up. If you're in a church of 250 or less, you can do whatever you want, right? So you're way more agile and mobile, right? So you're good. I would say like, go for it. Because even if you started now and you abbreviated the Bible reading so you could finish and start the second year or the second group in uh, February, even if you abbreviated it, we're talking probably marginal difference in success as but you're going to need to build your groups very smart you wouldn't want to do a strike while the iron is hot open to anybody right because you just you want to start that off we can talk about that too anything else yeah yes the ideal group size for doug is 10 the ideal group size for jamie is four three four three three the ideal group size for tim is I don't know. I like three. He likes three. <laughs> I want to save the world. So um, you can. So here's the thing. There is a. We're we're now. We have always said one on one is the worst. I know that's what we all raised on intimate. You know, table, whatever. And I love them. It will work. And there are certain models that leverage that very well. But one on one. We will never reach everybody on this planet before Jesus comes back. It's statistically impossible. You can't. Too many people being born. You can't do it. Okay? So um, guaranteed for years, our model was one to three, one to four, like you, and, and, and you'll get 95, 95, 95. Because we ran out of capacity, we started doing groups of eight, nine, and 10. And we found it, you have to equip the leader a little differently. And we're going to do that in, um, in uh, one do, five don'ts. But um, you have to cook the leader a little differently, but you actually have some better success sometimes when it's big. Does that make, yeah? So, so yeah, so our striking would be, do, do one to three or four? If you're a little more bold, you, wanna, you think you can handle a group, and you, then you can go one to 
8, 9, and 10. Beyond that, you start running out of time. Like, it, it gets oppressive. Yeah. But we would argue we could get you ready for either. But yeah. So you don't want to, at the beginning, you don't want to go beyond your confidence, though, because that's just, we're going to tell you, when you prepare yourself, do you need to be prepared, confident, and skilled? So if you're not confident, we're just, just then just go with three, because we know that's going to work. Anything else? You're like, are we actually going to talk about dead pandas? We are. All right, let's go. Let's make sure I think we're going to have plenty of time. Um, how, when, when do I have till? 10? 10? All right. 37 minutes. Somebody said I talk fast. Feel free to interrupt me. But I want you to get this. Okay? You ready? So though we're going to talk about dead pandas. The official talk of, uh, title of this talk is What's Black and White and Red All Over? Somebody please tell me the fifth grade answer. The newspaper, black and white, red all over, based on a pun, right? Can I tell you a, another thing that's black and white, red all over? A penguin wearing lipstick. Why is that interesting to me? Because um, for years, as I was making disciples, and for a lot of the people we deal with, when we give this example, they identify with it, that most of the people that we've tried to disciple or educate or whatever's happened actually look as awkward as penguins wearing lipstick. They're trying to put this outer coat on and, and get the do's done, but inside they're still a penguin and lipstick is not going to make you pretty. It's just that awkward and that silly and that's the product we're putting out. That's, you know, on us. And, and, and they don't have that life that's full and abundant. Neither are they confident to really be a penguin, nor are they confident to be, you know, somebody who should wear lipstick. It's just silly. That makes sense? All right. Another thing, black and white, red all over. Could be, but why? The Bible. The Bible, black and white, red all over. But we would also argue that it's not just red, R-E-A-D, because that would be a lie, because less than 10% of the population of claimed to be Christians have read the cover, the Bible cover to cover, less than 10%. Believe it or not, pastors have a worse average than the average Christian. Which means we have not assimilated all of God's word, which is why we, and I say we, because I've made this mistake, mess up when we teach topically. Because we have these three scriptures and it makes this really great point. And then somewhere in our journey, you know, we read like Malachi and we go, oh, that kind of refutes what I just said. Then you have to stand up in front of your congregation, if you have any integrity, and go, uh, by the way, five years ago, I told you I was wrong. So because we're not teaching from the whole of God's word, right? It has to be consistent, correct? Okay. So, so, you, so the, the answer should be black and white, red all over, Bible. But, but it can't be because it's not red all over. But here's the other one. You ready for this? We also believe it's red, R-E-D, all over when you use the method that we're going to talk about, this method that God showed us, the way he designed humans to learn, and we previewed this kind of last night. So some of you are last night, you're going to a little bit of the same because you're going to have to. We did a 30,000 foot view, okay, of all the talks last night. But, but it's red all over in the fact that red is the first color that we recognize as a baby. Red is an alert color for us. It's why we make stop signs red and sale tags red because we see red. And our argument is this, and it's, it's a statistical argument, but it's also a biblical argument that when people read the Bible with the Holy Spirit interacting with their life, truths jump off the page and go, hey! Last night I used the example of a girl who is in with us in discipleship, and she was one of the things that hurts me. 
She took a break. She came back and she's reading it. Somebody else is reading about, they highlighted something about Jezebel. I don't know what, like she was evil, whatever. And this girl just blurts out, I'm Jezebel, right? See it, red. There are red calls all over, right? The guy who hid his treasure in the tent, some guy goes, dude, that's what I'm doing with my money. So in other words, there are alert signals all throughout scripture. None of them are about, who's Jeremiah and where did he live when he wrote it? This ain't going to change anything. But the fact that it's so funny, I have some friends who are in the apostolic movement and I'm good with that. Like they, they're biblically based, everything else. But a bunch of them want to be prophets. And I'm like, dude, you take it. Like, I've read the Bible cover to cover. <laughs> Being a prophet, that's a recipe for disaster. So you do that. I'm going to pray for like water and wine. That's cool. <laughs> you get it? So you, you, you see, but it's read all over. It calls out to us, right? Business principles, borrowing. I remember the first time I read that. And it was like, don't co-sign for a loan. The next time somebody said, will you co-sign us? I was like, I'm sorry, but God told me I can't. And they were like, what? And I'm like, yes, right here. I was like, free at last, free at last. Hey, God Almighty, I'm free at last. It is full of applicable truth if we'll just read it. But oh, there's nothing at all in Chronicles. That's not true. Those walk through the Bible people made a billion dollars on the jet prayer of Jezebel, Jabez, right? Broadnor. Bron or Jezebel, the prayer of Jezebel. <laughs> I'm going to get that wristband. We're going to make some money. <laughs> Read my book, the prayer of Jezebel. <laughs> That's awesome. You're going to have a lot of fun and go straight to hell. Okay, good. All right. All right. So cool. All right. So, but, but, but what we tell you is it is read all over if you'll just let them read it but we won't and why won't we because we don't because we don't believe they can handle it because we can't handle it because we're bored by it because we're excited by it then we'd go like you gotta read this but we're not excited by it we study it we digest it we what i heard a phrase used last night hermeneutics it and we like i get it i got a phd my phd has never led anybody to christ Never. So it's that applicable. And so it's read all over. It cries out to me. It cried out to me this morning. I was talking to the staff and I was like, do you think that God's telling me that I need to stay focused on the actual individuals in these breakouts? And they were just quiet, which by the way is an answer for yes. <laughs> the Bible is read all over. Okay, so what I want to do is let's just rip this wide open. We have like 20 something minutes and we could stay after and talk or whatever. And you'll see this kind of all integrate, but, but the way that you learn, okay. So I'm just going to talk in absolutes. And if you need to be, to give you documents or data, just ask me later on this one. So we can keep moving. Okay. But the way you learn is by gathering a bunch of discrete truths. This is how you learn that things that are read are hot, Right. The first time you almost got burnt, it was probably the color red, unless it was a curling iron. These things you associate, this is hot, this is hot, this is hot. And then your brain begins to go, okay, well, when dad says hot, I should what? Stop. So, so you have a word association. That's a data point. This is a data point. The radiator's hot. Things on top of the stove, they're hot, 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 hot. All those things are just discrete truths, right? Discrete moments. But you know this is how your kids learn. You know how people learn. We tie all those together and we build a really big fear concept 
of hot. We become very confident that hot hurts. So we don't do hot. But then weird things start to happen because that's like where the color red comes in again. Because we associate red with hot. She's hot. It's hot. The girl in the red dress. Sale tags. We begin hot, right? Hot off the press. We, we begin to dis. Well, that's, that's a third tier concept. So see, first I have all these little instances of things. Then I connect those directly. I become more confident. I shouldn't touch the stove. But then all those little references to red begin to create this this larger assimilated, ambiguous, larger truth, it's not directly related to these, but it springs out of them. Does that make sense? Let's do one. Okay, I'm taking the risk. I'm diving in and I don't have a lot of time. Somebody pick a Bible verse. Just like open your Bible. I don't care what it is. Pick a Bible verse. I'm going to show you how this works. And then, and then just pick one. Like, quick. Huh? John 3.16. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Why is that important to you? But why is that important to you? Like, what's your aha out of that? Well, just the fact that he loved me so much that he to give his son. Can you, now, that would be fine if that was your one. I'd be like, what? Next person. You're going to be saying next highlight, because I'm going to show you how we do this in a second. Literally, they have a Bible. We call it a virgin Bible. So no notes, no cross-references, no Google, no nothing. Just don't care what version. Doesn't matter. Whatever they can read. I'll try to avoid like the street Bibles because they aren't clear. But other than that, just one you can read. NLT, NCV, that was the Billy Graham one, right? You know, just you can read. Can we tell them they would just highlight in your... Yes, sir. Do you also use one with no commentary? Nothing. We don't want any input except what? The Holy Spirit. Who's in this? Them, the Holy Spirit, and we're just the guide. What happens is, is when, when, when you start reading those comments, they may be great, they may be whatever, but you're now learning from man again, and we're trying to create an independent human. We're trying to get him out of the high chair. So we go back to commentaries, year three, we say, you want to go read other people's words? Fine. Once you know how to hear the Spirit, right? Once you hear from God. Okay, so Virgin Bible, they have a highlighter. You read John 3.16, you highlight it, and, you're, and he highlighted it because it was like, Man, he loved me so much, he gave his only, he gave Jesus. And so in year one, I would say, what? Next highlight, meaning whoever else is in my group, he was on 316, it should be after John 316, <laughs> who has another highlight. In year two, though, I'm going to say, can you connect that? Like, you've read the Bible a year. Can you connect that? Like, where else did you see that principle? Uh, I mean. I am asking him, you can't see it on the tape. <laughs> I think it's all throughout Scripture. Okay. But where? Do you, do you like, um, maybe Abraham? Who gave his son? Can you think of another one? Brother, you're good. How about um, Timothy's mom and grandma? And this is how I'll go in the first couple of weeks of discipleship too. Because I'm going to need to prime the pump. By the end of the year, when I say, where else is that? Your brain's going to go on autopilot with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go pow, pow, pow. Because the, the problem isn't that you don't have the data. The problem is we no longer teach the skill of connecting the dots. And in a minute, I'm going to show you. And you're, I'm, They actually taught this to you if you went to seminary. We just don't do it. In year three, 
that scripture and I'm going to say, make it bigger. Okay, well, we, we have, he gave his son and they gave their son to ministry. And then Samuel's mom. Do you see? All of a sudden, once you intentionally start thinking, where does this connect? All of a sudden, what's happening? We're connecting the entire story of the Bible, but we don't ever let him read the whole thing. But we're connecting the whole story. And this becomes a powerful truth now, right? There's honor. I mean, all, what can God do with that? If your mom and your kid wants to go to missionary? You know, there's just so many things that God can apply those truths to, right? But, but how do you make all that bigger? Well, you look at those places that occurred in the Bible and you say, what else did you learn? Well, when I was reading about Samuel's mom, I, she made a vow to God and he honored it. And if he did that for her, probably me. See, now that's a totally unrelated truth. It's, we call them indirects out of a direct chain. We spend all year through teaching people how to do that. Guess what? That's how you navigate the unknowns of life. How do you pick a girl to marry? How do you know she's the one? Well, I want you all are going to tell me, well, the Lord told me. And I'm going to argue your loins told you. Um, so I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the biblical, like your heart. Okay. But, but really, it's, a bio, it's actually a biological attraction is what starts this out. Pheromones, a bunch of things. What? She's red. Yeah, she's hot. Don't say that or that. Okay, so good, good. So, so seriously, though, right, you're going to argue this is a value decision that you made. It's not. It's an emotional decision like most of the decisions we make. There are, there, when you get to this navigating the unknowns, you, you realize things like the woman you want needs to be in business and awesome. You're like, no, she's a homemaker. Well, that's not what Proverbs 31 says. I love when people are like, I want a Proverbs 31 woman. I'm like, no, you don't. Like she's buying, selling, running businesses. That's not what your girl looks like. Like You need to go look in the corporate environment. Do you see what bigger does? It opens a whole new world of what, what is God really saying? Not what everybody's told me, not what all the books have told me, not that they're wrong, but what happens when I can hear from God? I do pick a woman with the character of God. Pick a woman who, who is that industrious thing. Or how about the guy? I do pick a guy. Or, you know, ladies, it, it, do you do you co-sign for a note? Because you can. Yes, sir. Okay, I love all the principles agree upon, but these people, you have a Bible with no notes in it. They've never read the Bible before. You're connecting stuff because you know the Bible. They'll do it. Well, I'm just saying they wouldn't, but you're saying, so they come to the group, they're reading, they don't have. Well, you can't know the history of everything. Just by no, but yeah, you're you're good. So let me let me give you a... I'm giving you a picture kind of what this looks like nine months or a year down the road. When he, when he started, what did I do? I just kind of primed the pump. You're not going to teach, but you'll just kind of prime the pump. You go, well, what if I don't know that stuff? It's okay. We have tools to help you be ready for that. Like just, but you're just maybe prime the pump. It's like three months before he starts getting in this rhythm of connecting the dots. In year three, we're trying to get them to learn to learn. It's like three or four months before they do. I have all year to get you to learn how to get applicable, discrete truths in year one. So let me just show you what this looks like. It's called inductive learning. I hope that's the slide we're on, Tim. I'm sorry. Um, inductive learning begins with exegetical learning. Has anybody ever heard the, the term inductive learning? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We all heard it. We just don't do it because inductive learning requires the entire data pool. 
You have to have the entire Bible to truly inductively learn from the Bible. If you haven't heard of it, what inductive means is this. The Bible teaches and verifies the Bible. In other words, a truth that I'm going to observe has to be consistent throughout. Okay, so inductive learning begins with exegetical learning, which means I look at what the Bible says, not what I think. Ready for a challenging one? Matthew 25, sorry. And it says that you should not give yourself the title of pastor. How many people have read that verse? Exegetical learning would mean as soon as I read that, I would go and start erasing pastor off all my business cards. Because I'm not trying to explain my and adjust God to my tradition or my history. I'm going to immediately adjust to his because I'm reading out of the Bible. Whatever it says, it's good. Inductive learning continues because it begins to connect those direct truths of humility or whatever they are, this connection. Because that's the power of inductive learning because now I'm, I'm getting confident, reiterated truth from God, right? And it builds confidence in me and the character of him and the history of him and how he dealt with people. The inductive learning kind of wraps up as it begins to make indirect connections. Now I see how it's all connected, but I begin to see those, oh, there's also this, and there's also this. And if I take these two principles and I put them together, I can figure out who to marry. I can figure out whether I should buy a car. I'm trying to get out of the way of the screens. <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay, so let me show you this in another way. When we're doing this with the Bible, our entire goal is this. First, they are taught. This is our Bible reading method. So in other words, and I don't mean we teach them. We're letting the Bible teach them. Just We just want to get every truth that they can get. Two, we are going to get them to learn to learn. Right? Now we want them to begin to connect the dots, right? I'm going to learn on my own. I'm going to learn to learn. I'm going to start not just taking this truth, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit and the way God designed me to learn connect these dots. I'm going to become more confident and powerful. I'm going to learn to learn. I'm going to get to the point where I can feed myself, get out of this high chair. I don't need my pastor. I need worship. It's great to have him teach me. I got mentors still, whatever. But I could actually read this book and I could learn to learn. I've learned to learn. So I can learn on my own. I can feed myself. I can walk. And this is what we're for for kids. Yeah. When I'm out of the house. It's what Jesus did, right? Raised him up, left, and said, it's yours. He released him. Third, you are behind the curtain. We don't tell any of this to them. We just go, hey, you want to read the Bible? And they show up the first week, and we go, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's the Bible reading schedule, plan. Our Bible reading plan is broken out by, I said syllables the other day, because I think that's my dream, but I think it's words. But it's a consistent amount of it's a consistent amount of, of data, and we want them to read at the same time every day because you can train your brain, by the way. You'll get more efficient. If they're reading, like, you know, a chapter, whatever. If they're reading, what, 200 words, you should do it by syllables because that'd be way better. If you could do, if they'll read 200, whatever, you know, 2,000 words, whatever it is, every day at the same time, they get, it's like running a marathon. You get in a, that training routine. Your brain gets better at consuming that data at that time. We're machines. I mean, beautifully created. Okay. So, so, so they read, they read, and, and I forget where, what I was even answering, but yes, all, we don't tell them any of this. We just go, look, here's your reading plan. I want you to highlight year one. What do we want them to do? I'm going to stray here for a minute. We just want you to highlight things that are like, aha! 
The ground was dry. The Red Sea was parted. Jezebel got eaten by dogs. Maybe she'd have thought about that. You know, whatever it is, you, whatever it is, you know, and, but we're trying to get them to do really pay attention to this. I don't have your blanks today. So, but what we're trying to do is when they get those single truths is to get them to, um, to do things that apply. So like if you do, if you're like, well, I noticed that they are traded 10 shekels and I learned in fifth grade that that's equivalent of $22. I'm like, that's great, Bart. That was my Bart accent. He's one of our teammates. That's awesome, Bart. But that ain't going to fly because that's never going to change your life. Is there a truth in there that actually applies? And if not, we go, that's cool, man. No problem. Next highlight. We just move on. We're just guiding them gently to what? Listen for God and look for things that apply. But we're not just discouraging because like that whole thing about the dry ground and part in the Red Sea, the ground was dry. That does apply. God does things. What? Excellently. And he does them completely and he provides for us, right? And that truth's going to connect later on in year two. So, so they're highlighting ahas or things are like, well, what's this? Why has this guy got a slave? What's up with that? So we're letting him highlight stuff like that. And you go, well, what if I don't know the answer? Like if they ask a really hard question, you know what you do? You go, hey, I don't know that answer, but I'm going to find it before we get back together next week. And then I'll just share it with the group right at the beginning. Good with that? Yeah, next highlight. Move on. You don't have to know everything. God got them to highlight something. You don't have the answer. So you're going to go to God, get the answer, bring it back. It doesn't have to. It's not our job to teach. Figure it out in the book. Sure got him, right? Year two, they're going to take a different color highlighter, same Bible. What are we trying to do? We're trying to narrow the field of vision. And they're going to highlight what? Now, in year two, they're going to highlight things that are just like principle-based and amazing. So we'll still do highlights if you have trouble, but we're looking for questions or principle-based things. It's just a little twist. So we don't tell them all this up front. We just go this week, highlight this. <laughs> they come back and we celebrate the highlights that are on target. We go, eh, but the ones that aren't. It take, we have three months. We're not going to beat them up in the first three months or nine. We're just, it's a long, slow process. So sometimes you don't go, well, that, that highlights. Thank you. Just go, okay, next highlight. But that's kind of like, they get it. That's the nod. Well, that one didn't get cheered, <laughs> right? You get it? Because we wanted to find applicable truth. But I mean, in year two, it's the same thing. Yes. Because Jesus made disciples in three years. No, that's not the answer at all. I just love saying that. <laughs> Everybody thinks that we did this because of Jesus, and I'm sorry I, we didn't. Um, so we did in the end because we prayed and we worked a lot. We have tried this with people. Well, they're advanced. Let's just run them through in six months, and then six months, six months, 18 months. We'll turn them out. They'll go make disciples. Fail miserably. Pastors, leaders, theologians, seminarians. And they go through it six months, six months, six months, and they never make a disciple. I take Joe and I run him through year, year, year. 95% of them have a great life, go on and live it and make disciples. I take pastor seminarians a year, 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 same deal. So we have this why. Um, I wish I knew all the answers, but I'll tell you what the data says. These are our, this are our thoughts. So if you're a statistician, I'm now anecdotally explaining our observations, Okay. We think that when you go too quick, we set people up for you got it all and we move them too fast through the process. What we've seen is it takes three to six months before people just adjust their learning pattern to not study all the detail and instead just look for what God is saying. Two, 
when in year two, when you're doing that rush, rush, it becomes a pressure. So this is what I want to tell you. When we tell people to read the Bible, in our opening comment, year one, because we don't ever have to say again, we go, listen, everything you've ever learned about Bible study, forget for this hour. Like you can do it later, but forget it for this hour. We don't want you to find out everything in this chapter. We want to set you free. And I go, yeah, okay, we all get it. Like it's so oppressive to feel like we have to go learn everything, explain everything and know everything. We're just going to accept that none of us knows anything. Even if we've already read it, when we read it, we're going to read it like it's fresh and new and just see what God tells us. And we're going to highlight it. And if you have no highlights, that's okay. If you have 100 highlights, that's okay. You know what you did? You wonder why they read it? Because now we're actually focusing on them instead of whatever this machine we created is. I love Bible study. There's a time for it but not if you're going to make a disciple. They need truth and they need quick. So, so we've just found that that process of deprogramming and programming for this particular thing just takes time. Getting to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, getting the, and, and so whenever, and by the way, whenever we do it longer, we're like, it's okay, Julie. You, well, your name's not Julie. What is your name? I'm Joyce. Joyce? It's okay, Joyce. I know you're having a tough time and your husband, he's mean and, and your job is hard and your husband's awesome. It's just, it's fake. And you know, and, and we'll just, let's just go an extra six months. And you know what? Her, she, she fails every time. She doesn't make disciples in anything. Why? Because it's not, this is no longer a priority. That's, this our anecdotal. That's the best we can get. So too short, too long breaks it. By the way, we track 95% because we want to brag. We make 95%. No, we track our stats because we're not so we can, we, number one, we didn't believe it. Number two, it's the data, but we track it because when it dips, we know we broke something. And boy, did it dip. When we tried to short-circuit it, all those people, they're part of our permanent 5% loss. All of them. Is that horrible? Yeah, so, yeah. All right, so in, 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 in year three, they begin to assimilate all that they've learned into these entirely larger contexts of life. This is like a child, right? Child gets a bunch of data, they connect it, but then they get conceptual thought, right? the age of accountability, if you were, right? They get conceptual thought. And that's what your three is about. Conceptually thinking about God, theology, everything. By the way, I love them. They're like, go teach them theology. There's not, we can teach theology all we want and 20% of the church will show up and they will learn it and they'll be awesome. And the rest of us, we're going to Chili's. This is the reality. Theology is a scary word. You gotta learn all the doctrines of God. It's just scary. I'm not saying don't need to be taught. But you, the cool part is, if you do this and get them to read the Bible, 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 then teach, then, then wrap it all up with a theology class in year four, do something fun, they'll already get it. We're trying to shove steak into babies. Is our cutest Waldo up here or is she downstairs? She's teeny tiny. If you try to shove a T-bone down, she's going to choke. Let's just get this. What did Jesus, Jesus never taught theology, sorry, don't get mad at me. He, did, he went to sinners and lost people and he said stuff like, well, I, if, if a guy lost a coin, he, would he tear the whole house up? I mean, I went on my gravestone, taught like Jesus. The rest of it, I don't care. I want to see people's lives. I want them to get what I finally got the hard way. Okay, cool. Now, the cool part about this is this happens. As this is happening, your people are walking down this very predictable pathway. Is there a picture or is it just a comment? Yes, I love it. I actually got it figured out. This pathway, and you can, there's, we have copies of all this. This 
is so, this took us and our Bible reading to a whole new place. Why? Because we realize, but statistically in year one, the things that people are doing and God's doing in their life, they're learning to be convicted, convinced by God. And how does that happen? What does Paul say? What brings us salvation? The word of God. It's the topic of this whole conference, the word of God. It brings life, salvation. It brings wisdom. So they are in this whole year, the first time they're going through the Bible, even the pastors, even the leaders, most of them have never done this before. So guess what's happening? The word of God starts washing them. They become convinced of all kinds of stuff. His sovereignty, his power, his provision, how awesome he is. Is that crazy good or what? Then they begin to repent. They begin to adjust their life. It's not just a negative thing. He may call them to do something good, but they begin to adjust their life to God's truths. And then what? They get taught by him, by people, because once you plow up a field, which is what happens when we repent, now we're teachable because we've just admitted we don't know everything. So now I'm teachable. And then what happens is that I become enlightened. I start getting smarter. This is the bulk of your one. And all they're doing is going one, two, one, two, one, two, three, three, two, four, five. This is what's happening. Well, once I know that, when I start looking at their highlights and trying to talk to them as individuals, I can figure out where they're at. Let's say you really got the whole being convinced by God down pat and started repenting. But you, you're just convinced by God you're wrong, but you're doing nothing. Well, when we talk, my conversation now can be different to her and you, even though you're reading the same verses, because I can kind of see what's going on with you. I don't have to show you this, never show them this, because they'll become performance oriented. But I can see this. So now I'm talking to you as somebody who hasn't yet mastered repentance, but I'm talking to you as somebody who's ready to be taught so I can pour stuff in. Do you get it? All of a sudden, I know exactly what to give somebody, when to give them, how to talk to them as they go on their Bible journey. So that ends around four or five, six. Year two goes seven, eight, nine. Really, does it go past nine? There's this point of consecration all in. That's, by the way, where we lose most of people for good. We, we'll show you that later. Okay, cool. So this, all this happens on a predictable pathway. So what we have is year one. Man, I'm trying to make sure you get out. Year one, we have this. There should be another slide there, but Year one, we have... <laughs> Thank you, Tim. So these, these are the tags I should have told you. So they're taught here, right? And then, Tim, they learn to learn on their own. Tim's helping me get this. And then they assimilate new truths. Can you get flags or something? <laughs> All right. Year one, year two, year three. So... In year one, when we're doing this, we are, like I've already told you, right? Direct truths. In year two, we're connecting the dots. In year three, by the way, if these aren't good enough for you, like we can't, we're happy to share. Just if you decide to share it or whatever, please keep it in context. Teach them the whole thing because a little piece of this can ruin you. We can prove that. It all works together seamlessly. Year one highlights, aha, question two. Year twos are aha's questions. We're focusing, connecting. Year three is interesting questions. We're going to give them a lot of license here to go like, well, what's that whole Melchizedek thing? Like, I'm just, we're, we're running away from Melchizedek year one. It's just, it's steak. What we're going to say is, isn't it cool that he tithed though, like he gave? And then we're going to next highlight him and move on. So I just dropped a little bomb and I'm moving on. Got it? Okay. You guys got all this? 
All right. Along the way, there's like four things you can do in each year, seeing this paradigm, to keep them on track. I'm trying to leave a few minutes at the end for questions. Here's the four things. One, challenge them. So when you get into this bigger concept, challenge them with connections that stretch things too far. What you're looking for is when they say, well, I think. Yeah, don't tell me anything you think. Tell me what you know. We're just looking at what it says. I think. Classic of that is this. Well, I was reading this verse and I highlighted it because it said that God just really loves all his creation. And I'm really feeling very overweight and I've really tried to lose weight. But what this says to me is that God loves me just the way I am. And so if you're in my discipleship, I go, sweetie, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I, you can't use that verse to say God loves you just the way you are. And I'm not even sure he does. I know that he's concerned right now because you're insecure and I want to help you with that. So we're going to hook you up with a resource to help you with that. But you can't use that verse for that. But yes, he does love you the way you are, even if you're wrong. And I may even throw in Romans 5.8, just a little encouragement. Now, Derek, who's in the back, who, in my opinion, he's been doing this now, what, three or four months? I hail him as like somebody who I'm now learning from because Derek has his counselor background and he's way nicer than I am. <laughs> but you just have to be who you are. Because it'll work, because God will do it. And so he's probably talked to him. He's probably like, you could do this way nicer, you know. But the, the point is, is you got to keep them true. It's not what I think. Okay. Two, provide course correction when they start to take them out of context. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the Lord plans I have for you to prosper. Do not, you can't claim that verse. You highlight it. That's God has a plan for me. No, if that's the plan for you, but you have to go to Babylonia and be like cast out for 70 years. You have to turn your back on God. You have to get to utter brokenness and then still 35 years before he's going to pull you out of it. He's like 35 more years of discipline, but I have a plan to rescue you after 35 years. That's just out of context. So force them to get in context. Well, if they're that wrong and God had a plan for them and a hope for them, there's probably hope for me. Okay, we're good. Do you get it? Does that make sense? Okay, three. Help them avoid reading truths into verses. You got that? And four. Keep disciples focused on finding truths that are capable of transforming their lives. Cool? All right, so if you want to stay and ask questions, we have like 16 minutes. If you need to go, go. You always should feel free to go if you need to go at any point or time, like even if you just don't want to sit through it anymore in the middle. You're good. Anybody have any questions? Yeah. Oh, I didn't tell you what dead... <laughs> are you ready? It's amazing. You ready? Here's dead pandas, red and white, black all over, a panda who gets too close to a lion. The scripture that drives this for me, because you asked me about this at the beginning, what drives me nuts? Dead pandas drive me nuts. Ezekiel wrote about the watchman on the wall and said that if we see the army coming, we don't warn them off, and the people die, the blood's on our hands. Panda blood on our hands when the lion of this world chews them up because we have not exposed them to the word of God so they have the whole truth so they can defend themselves, so they can live well. That's what dead pandas mean to me. I don't want penguins with lipstick, but I definitely don't want dead pandas. You need to understand, I don't try to be mean. This is on us. This is his call. This is his method. What we don't do, we are accountable for. That doesn't mean it's onerous. It's a privilege 
to defend. It's a privilege to raise up an army. It's a privilege, but at the same time, we're grownups and we have to accept that if they get, if the panda gets eaten by the lion here, it's black and white and red all over, and that's on us. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me at all. Got it? Totally skipped that part of it. You can text Waldo to 66-something-something-something. If you want to connect with us, we send out like little tips and tricks as we learn them. And he's just like firing slides. There's a thing. I just see it. And if you want more resources or anything, you can scan this thing. Cool. All right, y'all, that's all we've got for today. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Doug again. The next episode is about one do and five don'ts in disciple making. Basically, how do we run a discipleship group? A lot of you listeners out there, maybe you're in a place where you're trying to shift the culture of your church to disciple making and you have no idea how it works practically. This next episode is going to be great for you. And also for you guys out there that are actively leading discipleship groups, This will be a great refresher course for you as well. All right, y'all, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope to catch you on the next one. And I want to say enjoy the rest of this day. We'll see you.